Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. brothers and sisters, I hope this transmission finds you well. My name is Thelonious7 and you're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. Ahead on Straight No Chaser, we're going to be getting into the value of coaching. Kind of talking about Freddie Kitchens and how he's the perfect man at the perfect time. We'll be talking about the realms, the player realms, the coaches realm, the GM's realm, and the ownership realm. And then we'll get into the AFC North and kind of do a regional analysis, kind of thinking about how the Browns stack up against their local competitors. And again, how the Browns stack up against themselves doing the top five Browns on offense and on defense. At Straight No Chaser, I'm committed to bringing you the straight truth. And the straight truth for this week is very simple. And it is that America needs Cleveland. You know, I'm not really a fan of combat sports, but I was watching the Twitter feeds of uh, Hollywood Higgins and Demarius Randall, a few other guys, and I noticed they were talking a lot about the work of Stipe Miocic and praising the city of Cleveland. And so against, you know, my usual inclinations, I went and checked out this fight. And, And when I saw it, I must say, that the battle that I witnessed was nothing short of amazing. And when it was over, I understood why in the clip that I had at the beginning of this show, the announcer spoke the name of my home city as soon as he witnessed what he'd seen. You see, Stipe Miocic represented Cleveland. He was surrounded by doubt. He was fighting against history and it looked at one time really bad. But somehow, some way, through grit, through determination, and through an unwillingness to accept what appears to be your demise. When it's time, you're ready. And it's not a swagger. It's not 
something silly. Instead, it's a deep confidence, a competitive focus. That's Cleveland. And the Browns know it. Browns like Miles Garrett. Browns like Demarius Randall. The Cleveland and Stipe Miocic inspired them. And that same Cleveland is being spread around not only in this arena, but also on the baseball field as well. Baker Mayfield, of course, spread that same Cleveland spirit to Trevor. I call him Trevor Linder. Why am I keep doing this? It's that NHL hockey thing to Francisco Lindor (laughs) on the Jumbotron when he shotgun that beer. Change the game. And he's about to find that is Baker Mayfield. He's about to define what Cleveland means for this generation. There's no question in my mind that America needs Cleveland. And I mean that in the broadest sense. Cleveland is the antidote for everything that's wrong with sports in America. There's a deep level of inauthenticity that permeates everything in sports. Cleveland cuts through all of that. It's not about watching the tape, finding a scapegoat. It's about being accountable. It's about working with that passion and fighting with that focus. America needs Cleveland. And if you're a football fan, this is something that you absolutely relish. This is why you watched in the last three years. It feels like going into the 2019 season, the Cleveland community is on the edge of something historic. And I'm really happy that I get a chance to come here and talk to you about it. I'm going to reset what I do here generally at Straight No Chaser, what I'm trying to accomplish in a general sense. Straight No Chaser is essentially a a fan show. I mean, and what I mean by a fan show is that I'm here talking about football and otherwise producing content solely for my love of the Cleveland Browns. The keyword and all that is fan. I'm a fan. I'm not media. I'm a fan. I'm speaking out of love, offering my reaction as a project, which mostly helps me stay connected to this city, Cleveland, where I was born. I'm not really sure I ever discussed the reason why the show has the name Straight No Chaser either, so maybe I should do that for a second too. Straight No Chaser is uh, probably the favorite album title that I have of all time, man. Thelonious 7 is a moniker that's kind of an homage to Thelonious Monk, of course. And initially when I started this show, I wanted to have it to be a show where I focus on a lot more jazz, but kind of got away from that as I've gone forward. But, you know, there are certain reasons for that, too. But in any case, Thelonious Monk is like my artistic patron saint, man. There's something really unique about his genius and how he understood and defined convention. You know, beauty for him was all about that play with the conventional. And for me, I wanted to state clearly that I do this as a fan because of my love for Cleveland my credential is my authenticity. I couldn't watch the NFL without the Browns. I mean, I watched for 18 years this zombie iteration of a franchise. And I had opened 2008. Kind of this offseason was reminding me of that one for a minute. But there's one key difference. One key difference. And that key difference, of course, is at the quarterback position. It's Baker Mayfield. Now, I got to reset my position on Baker Mayfield. Um, (laughs) When it was first, 
people were first being announced as possible candidates for the quarterback position, the quarterback vacancy that Cleveland's had for years uh, during the 2017, actually going into the 2018 draft. There was a lot of talk about how Baker Mayfield wouldn't be the first pick because he was a lot like Johnny Manziel. And for me, initially, that was a really silly and I'm a little bit tired take. Um, you, you looked at Baker Mayfield and he, on tape, he's nothing like Johnny Manziel, who Johnny seemed to almost fly by the seat of his pants as a quarterback at Texas A&M. Where Baker Mayfield definitely showed a lot more NFL-type qualities in some of the things he was doing on tape. So, I didn't really think that the Johnny Manziel thing, Baker Mayfield thing, really had any comparison. Many, any real value on a certain level. But, on another level, I actually had a problem with Baker Mayfield <laughs> during that draft process. Initially, I was really put off by him from some of the off-the-field things, particularly the O flag thing that really really deeply offended me on a certain level and I never was never was really giving this kid a, a full and an honest assessment in, in my process as I was looking for his traits and why they would be you know useful to Cleveland but going into this 2019 season the fact is that Cleveland absolutely needs this quarterback Baker Mayfield and he's going to be the difference between the team uh, doing something great, something noteworthy, something historic, and doing some of the things that it's done in the past, like in the 2008 season. For example, now there's been a lot of comment. A lot of people have talked about the way that this offseason kind of calls to attention the offseason back in 2008 uh, when uh, good old Phil Savage was in charge of the squad. And the 2007 season was the season where the team notoriously finished at nine and sorry at 10 and six and didn't make the playoffs and at that time they had a quarterback by the name of Derek Anderson and when he came back to start the next year at 2008 there was a little bit of a quarterback controversy in training camp even though Derek Anderson had become a Pro Bowl quarterback you can remember this there was another quarterback in camp where the Browns had spent a number one pick on it was Brady Quinn. And when Brady Quinn and Derek Anderson tangled in camp, it was the old adage that you have two quarterbacks, you got no quarterbacks. And that's what happened going into the 2008 season. It was a very disappointing year, to say the least. And the same kind of a situation bore itself out again in the 2014 season with Brian Hoyer. He'd come out, of course, he had the injury in 2014. In 2015, he's coming out with um, another young quarterback that had been drafted in the first round at the same spot, obviously, as Brady Quinn, and that's Johnny Menzel. And the situation with Johnny Menzel and Brian Hoyer bore out almost, almost the same in the same way, where you had two quarterbacks, and basically that meant that you had no quarterbacks because the organization, rather than working together to build something special, was instead fighting against itself, playing that game of pole position, you know. So for me, having a guy on the roster in 2019 like Baker Mayfield, and it's just one guy, and that was the first round pick, and it's just this guy. This is the cat we're going to build around. That's what I think bodes so well for this organization at this time right now. I really think that going into this season this fall, having the dude 
representing our city is going to mean that the expectations are going to be even higher and that there's an even better chance of us doing something. And that's absolutely amazing this offseason or during this football season. So we talked a little bit about Baker Mayfield and how cool he is and how amazing the situation has been since he's been in Cleveland. Baker Mayfield is kind of the epitome of the effect that the players have on whether or not you have a winning organization. And for me, I always want to go back and talk about the realms, these realms of football that kind of dominate uh, the way that the game is working on a lot of different levels. So for me, I would say there's there are four different realms, four different uh, fields in which the football game takes place in the NFL. On the lowest realm, there's the players, the players realm. That's the realm that you tune into on Sunday to see the action. You see the action on the field between this player and that player. All the stuff that's associated with players is happening on a certain low realm of understanding. It's the players realm, the bottom realm, the bottom of the chain where everything goes on. The value of the players goes on in this area. Now, above the players are the there's the coaches. These guys who sort of organize and uh, unify player talent and marshal this and get it into something that's you know something that's able to be used to go ahead and, and to form a strategy to attack another team or something like this. In any case, the coaches realm is something that I really want to talk about in this show a little bit more than other shows. Now. The one reason that I started talking about the coaches' realm so much in general, it, it goes back to the time when Freddie Kitchens was brought in as the offensive coordinator um, for the Browns last year after the whole Hugh Jackson situation. Once they brought in Freddie Kitchens as the offensive coordinator, I went back to the, the beginning of the year when they were interviewing all of the position coaches, and I sat down and I watched... Freddie Kitchens as the uh, running backs coach for the Cleveland Browns, and he had an a, he had an incredible uh, piece of uh, information. And basically, when you listen to him back then, even then, he has that same folksy charm, that same like honesty, and you know the same disarming character that you come to understand with Freddie Kitchens. Even then, it was like that. Looking at him then. But it's different when you're kind of the guy behind the guys, like off stage, off to the camera, off to the side, and when you're the man in charge. It's definitely a different thing. But it, and this, it's, it's somehow refreshing to see that the guy's still the same guy. It's still the same guy back then, and you can tell that he was the guy before he came to Cleveland, the same guy, and he's still the same guy now that he's the coach of the Browns. And for me, I really think that it's interesting to see what Freddie Kitchens is representing for the coaches realm. For me, Freddie Kitchens... And, and, and this is a really funny comment. There was the comment a few weeks ago about the offensive line coach, the ex-offensive line coach uh, with the big belly. He was commenting on the Browns and saying that he should never been released by Freddie Kitchens and Freddie Kitchens dissed everybody. And that uh, Sam Peasy had really done the best job of the coaching. And Freddie Kitchens is just lucky and doesn't really get benefit where benefits do. Well, listening to all of that, <laughs> rampage, all that talking. Freddie Kitchens had one of my favorite responses. And that's that Freddie Kitchens said that it wasn't about the coaching. It was about these players. These players are the ones that made the difference. And for me, I think that the 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 the, the tenure of Freddie Kitchens is literally going to be about that. 
It's going to be about the return of the player's prominence in this organization. That no longer is it going to be some high and mighty scheme brought to heaven, brought to earth from coach, whatever or not, scheme. It's not Air Coriel or it's not, you know, some you know, traditional tried and true system that has always worked, that will always be able to beat every other scheme. It's not something like this anymore. In some ways, what Freddie Kitchens represents is an empowerment of the players from the players' realm. And this is what I'm really excited to see what happens this, this time coming up. You saw Baker Mayfield make some controversial statements in the last few weeks. And one thing that I really appreciated about Freddie Kitchens is he kept his he kept his cool, he kept his demeanor, he kept his calm. But what he did is he did not throw this guy under the bus. He was like, you know what? This is our dude. This is our guy. I don't want him to change. This is how he is. This is who he is. Can you imagine our previous coach saying the same things? I really could not imagine that for, for, for even a second. I feel like Freddie Kitchens is a breast of fresh air because he wants to empower the players to be who they are instead of marshalling them or shoehorning them into a scheme that may or may not fit what they best do. So I'm excited for Freddie Kitchens. I feel like he's the perfect man at the perfect time. Definitely the perfect man at the perfect time. And additionally, like I said before, when I listened to that initial quote from Freddie Kitchens' initial press conference, he had one of the quotes that really stuck out to me and really affects the way that I see what I'm doing now as a fan here on the Dogs by Nature Network. Hold on one second, I'll get it for you. When you have people that are passionate about the game and competitive and passionate about winning, you're gonna have discussions. That the other night was not a discussion at all. I mean, it wasn't even an argument, it was nothing. Um, you know, I think sometimes, I learned a long time ago, I think sometimes uh, media chases controversy and players chase stats, all right? And both of them equal the same thing, and it equals money, all right? And and I think that's where we're at with that story, you know? That's no controversy. There's no friction. Freddie Kitchen's candor in this answer really sticks out to me. I mean, he's his forthright style is completely disarming for the media. And it, it, even to this day, I really love listening to him talk about things and digest things. Now, the specific part that I like about this quote, I'm going to play it for you again right now. Uh, media chases controversy and players chase stats, all right? And both of them equal the same thing, and it equals money. Players chase stats, media chases controversy. I'm going to focus on the media side for a second. When I heard this quote, I really started to think about the NFL hierarchy in a different way. And I thought about how media kind of fit into this role. Now, media is not a part of the hierarchy as such. It is something that stands outside of the hierarchy in the same way that the fans are outside of the hierarchy as well. But the media is concerned about sharing information and actually finding ways to monetize information. And there, in some ways, I guess this is really an interesting look into the perspective of someone from the coach's realm. That they see that the media is doing the same thing that the players are doing. They're all engaged in a kind of a hustle. They're all trying to get paid. You know, one quick example of what it looks like when the media chases controversy. You know, 
I'm going to use the example of Andrew Luck's retirement, probably the biggest story of this offseason. And basically how that story was presented initially in the media was something like, you know, Andrew Luck retires and the Colts fans boo him out of Lucas Oil Stadium. Something like this. And then show after show after show, every different media organization like piles on this controversial bandwagon. How could the Colts fans disrespect this man's legacy? How could the Colts fans do this to Andrew Luck? What's the matter with people? What's the matter with people? And why do they think that these athletes need to do everything for them, but they can be ungrateful for what they've contributed? Just basically miles and miles of diatribe. But when you sit back and you look at the story, you have to say to yourself, as a fan, for example, what, what, how could this actually be? Andrew Luck is probably the nicest person who's ever played the quarterback position. There's no way that fans who saw that guy play for seven years were like, you know what? I want to boo you right now, now that I hear that you're retiring, and I want to have the attitude that these people on the TV are going to portray us as having. I was like, for me, that doesn't even make any sense. And when you go back and you look into this situation a little bit more, you start to see that that controversy, in some ways, was actually caused by the media. Shefty released that story like at halftime of the game at Lucas Oil Stadium. The timing of that release literally caused the situation. That's why it happened. It happened because of what Schefter did. And in the end, that's what it is. It's they they monetized that that controversy. They monetized the fact that you're going to want to find out a lot more about why these fans would be doing something like this and you're going to want to read more about it and I did. I was totally into this story for a while. And then it occurred to me, think to the last time this happened, think to the last time Jacoby Brissett was brought in as a quarterback of the Colts. It was the same stuff. They strung the fans out with medical news saying that luck was going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He's going to be fine. They're going to be good. Just buy your season tickets. No problem. Everything's good. It's good. No problem. Uh, You know what? He's not even going to play this whole season. It's going to be Jacoby Brissett. I'm sorry. Sorry. Sorry, he can't go this year. I know we told you that we thought his shoulder was going to be good, but it's no good. You're going to have to watch Jacoby Brissett be the quarterback and not Andrew Luck. Sorry. Sorry you paid for the tickets for Luck. It's Jacoby Brissett this year. And it's literally the same story this year. The same the same information transpired for the fans. And they reacted in a way that they probably weren't proud of. Let's be clear, it wasn't Bottlegate by any stretch of the imagination, but... The nuance definitely takes away from the controversy, so you just don't hear about it. Ultimately, I want Straight No Chaser to be a place where that nuance can be explored a little bit more. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more.
There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Well, I'm beyond excited for the upcoming season, but the season officially starts tonight at Soldier Field on NBC. But getting ready for this Sunday, I wanted to take a second to draw your attention to the AFC North. Why? Because Cleveland has a goal. They're aiming for something. And that something is a championship. Players have said it. Greedy Williams said it. Freddie Kitchens himself has said it. And if they want to get to a championship, if they have any designs on hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, they're going to get there, as they say, one play at a time, one series at a time, one snap at a time. That's what they're going to do. But as they're doing this, they're going to be aiming for some lofty goals. And the first of these checkpoints will occur in week four. When they battle the Ratbirds in somewhere in greater D.C., Delaware region, area-ish country. I don't even want to say the name. But when they get there, and I, I really hope they're careful when they go there. But when they get there, they're going to begin round one in what could be an epic saga of battles for supremacy in the AFC North. The quickest way to the playoffs and to the Lombardi Trophy is through the AFC North. And Cleveland has got to get there first. And as fans, we can swoop into the GM level. We can grade the progress of these groups. See where they are. You see where they finished last year. Baltimore finished in first place. Winning the division. And then there was Pittsburgh. And for the first time since I can never remember, Cleveland was not in last place. And in the end, you know, from the GM level, these guys are 32 players at a poker table playing for only one chip. And they got two tools to play with. One of the tools is free agency. The other tool is the draft. 
As far as free agency goes, I think it's pretty clear that Dorsey won free agency by a pretty big margin. Um, he didn't really lose people he didn't want to lose, and he added a ton. Pittsburgh and some other guys lost some key people, and Cincinnati, yeah, had a tough time with free agency as well. Don't really add so As far as the draft goes, though, I really feel that the greater Delaware region was very well served by their GM. Did an excellent job. And you can see the kind of team that Baltimore wants to build with the draft. And I feel like they want it in, in terms of this way, in terms of the of, of volume of talent and identity that they are trying to pursue. I feel like Baltimore did a great job in this draft. Cincinnati was a sneaky second. I would say Pittsburgh third and Cleveland fourth, obviously without the draft capital. But Greedy Williams and Mac Wilson look like they're going to be contributors this year. So perhaps... In a sneaky way, Cleveland can sneak back up into that conversation. But but as much as I'd hate to admit it, I must say that the greater Virginia area was victorious in terms of drafting this year. So as I see it, this offseason, Cleveland made out the best as they added the best, the most in free agency. They were still fairly productive in the draft and I just think from in terms of how they ended last year the 7-8-1 team to the team going into the season in 2019 I think they made the biggest leap of all the teams I would say that Pittsburgh didn't lose as much as they you know didn't lose so much and I think that through the draft they were able to add a key piece and they may have been able to keep a, a flow or maybe even slightly get better maybe addition by subtraction if you will Cincinnati, I would say, looks like they got worse. But Baltimore, that's the key question. You don't really know what happens with Baltimore. You have Lamar Jackson, and he's it's, it's like such an enigma to kind of try to think of him. You think about how the Browns have been built. And what I wanted to do now was kind of go into the coaching realm's position. Kind of look at things from Freddie Kitchen's perspective. See how the teams stack up to each other. Overall, in the AFC North, I would say you have to value the offense slightly more than the defense. That's just like a general football thing. I think that offense is a little bit more important than defense in valuation because football is ultimately a game of possession and you can control the game in this way. The defense can possess the ball too, but I just think that generally speaking, because the value of possession is what it is, offenses are important. And then if you divided wins into, you know, in a, if you divided one win into 10 pieces, I would say the offense would get five pieces. The defense would get four and special teams would get one. And of these five pieces, the quarterback should get, should get half of the offense's value. So about 25% of the total share of a win should go to the quarterback play. So as you're breaking down the AFC North, and looking at this, you have to realize the importance of quarterback play to AFC North production is huge. And that's why when you rank these quarterbacks in the AFC North, this is basically what you're doing in terms of ranking the teams. You're basically saying the biggest chance of winning falls on the shoulder of my quarterback. And right now in the AFC North, if you're going into it as a blind owl without a heart or a soul, you're going to pick 
Pittsburgh to be in first place because they've got Ben Roethlisberger as the quarterback. And he, over the years, has proven to be a successful competitor in big moments. Time after time again, if you live in Cleveland or care about Cleveland, you've seen it over and over and over and over again. Especially if you have tickets to Ohio Edison Stadium because that guy's record is unmatched in that facility. Moving right along, I'm happy to say that in second place, you have Baker Mayfield. And Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield gives Cleveland some hope. Following Baker Mayfield, the Rapbirds will roll out a quarterback by the name of Lamar Jackson who is absolutely terrifying. He absolutely fits the mantra of what a rap bird is in my head. Just terrifying in terms of what he can do to you. I don't know where it's coming from or what's going to happen. But when that guy got the ball in his hands, it is it's not I feel like nightmarish. I feel nightmarish. I don't know what's going to happen with Baltimore. I would say the Baltimore's quarterback Probably is in front of what Andy Dalton's going to do this year. But in a way, I almost want to flip it around. I almost want to have Andy Dalton in third place and, and, and Lamar Jackson trailing the rear only if to say that Lamar Jackson is really more of he's really he really maybe compares more to our, what a running back is doing more than what Andy Dalton does. Yeah. As a running back, if you were to, if you were to have on Madden put Lamar Jackson in as running back. He would be an amazingly great running back. You put Andy Dalton in at running back, he's going to be terrible. You're not going to get into yards at all. I feel like because he has so much versatility and so much athleticism, I feel like you never really know what you're going to do with this guy. I remember watching him when I was evaluating the quarterback process and thinking to myself, sometimes he's throwing the ball to people who are way less dangerous with the ball in their hands than him. And it's like, you just wish he would just pretend like he was going to throw it every time and just run every time because he's almost going to score like every time he does that because he's so electric in the open field. People can't touch him. I don't know. I don't want to get too lost in the weeds on him, but after you rank the likelihood of these teams winning in the AFC North, you have to say to yourself as Freddie Kitchens looking at the situation, how is it that we can be better than this? How is it that we can do something different? How is it that we're going to beat Ben Roethlisberger? You say to yourself, how do we take that guy down? And I feel that when Dorsey built this team in Cleveland, he did what he's doing with taking Ben Roethlisberger out in his mind. But what I think that people don't understand is that that number three quarterback is kind of the foil to both of what the first two quarterbacks are doing. And I don't really know what we're going to get in Dalton. Dalton's going to be a consistent competitor too. You can't really write that dude off right now, especially with some of the talent he has around him. But as far as I'm looking at this situation, I feel like the matchup in the AFC North might end up being some kind of a crazy slugfest. 
it looks like Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cleveland are all right there. If I had to, like I said, pick, I would say Pittsburgh first, Cleveland second, Baltimore third, Natty fourth. But it doesn't have to go that way. Week four of this season, you're gonna see us you're gonna see the beginning of the slugfest. It's gonna start week four. It's gonna happen then. It's gonna be this opening salvo. I'm excited to see how it comes out, man, right? I kind of think that all the teams in the AFC North are kind of I guess looking to knock off the front runner. I kind of think Dorsey structured what he did this offseason to take those guys out. They have a defensive line that really can make it very difficult for Pittsburgh to throw the football. Pittsburgh has a solid offensive line. I don't know how is this matchup going to work out? How does that matchup work out to you? You got to think that Cleveland's going to be able to do more than they were able to do traditionally with four men against Pittsburgh in the past. At the same time, as Cleveland has built themselves to, to take out a guy like Roethlisberger with this direct line pressure, at the same time you have another dude coming up in Lamar Jackson who is a completely different animal. And I think in this strange rock, paper, scissors way, they all three of these teams are going to end up 4-2, and two, all defending their home turf, all taking L's on the road to each other, and all beating the tar out of Cincinnati. Who would be 0-6 in the division at the same time? Even though Cincinnati finishes 0-6, I do not believe that Cincinnati will be the doormat of the league. I think Cincinnati could be a 4-6 win team, even outside of the wins that they're going to lose in the AFC North. Which would say a lot about the AFC North, right? I think the AFC North could have as many as three playoff teams in it. And if you're going to win the Super Bowl, I think you almost have to win the AFC North first. So let's look at the Browns a little closer (laughs) through a little bit of a deeper lens the microscope lens and see what this team looks like in terms of its own identity as it stacks up on offense and defense we'll start with the defense first good old miles garrett he is definitely the best player on this defense and i used to say that it wasn't close but it's close this year it's actually really close There's a lot of good players on this defense. Following Miles Garrett very closely is his running mate, Ovi, Olivier Vernon, who looks to be as good as advertised, if not better, in this Cleveland front. Number three would be, in my estimate, Denzel Ward. Followed very, very closely by Demarius Randall. Fifth place could go a lot of ways for me. I actually, I think I'm going to go with Joe Schobert. Not to say that I don't want to go with Joe Schobert. He 
definitely is worthy of fifth place. The problem is you have Larry Ogunjobi. You have Sheldon Richardson. Kirk, Kirko, are you going to say him? I don't know. Are you going to say Money Mitch? You might say Money Mitch. But for me, this is where I am with the Browns right now. The Browns are going to be a team built from the inside out. They're going to be a defensive team that's built on their defensive line presence. But on offense, how do you see their top five being? Is first place Baker Mayfield? Absolutely. Where's second place? Well, second place for me, and this is just me. Somebody might not agree with me now, but I would say going into the year, I would say second place is Nick Chubb. I don't think after the year he had, given the lack of opportunities for the beginning of the season, this kind of a production curve, to me, looks like the second best player on the offense. Now, after this, it's definitely Odell Beckham Jr. Although I haven't seen him play in a Browns uniform, it's him. You know, it's kind of silly to say this because like Odell Beckham Jr. could be really ranked at the top in a way, right? He could be the best player that's on the team. He's historically great in terms of his early production. But then so is Baker Mayfield, right? But then so is Nick Chubb, right? So I don't really know where to say except for to say that I saw Nick Chubb do it last year, and I think that that's where the value is right now. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe it'll be unworldly, and we have to adjust this thing as we go through the year. Hopefully we will. I don't know. We'll see. Nick Chubb second, OBJ third. I would say fourth is David Njoku. Now, whether or not David Njoku ends up shining out at the beginning of the year is another man's guess. I don't know. What I know is that guy is the most talented tight end in the league now that Gronk is gone. That's my opinion. Now, there's Kelsey. There's other guys that have a lot of good skills that do a lot of things well. My gut tells me they're not as good. They're not as good as David Njoku could be in this offense. We'll have to see how that breaks down too. Now, fifth place on this list is Joel Batonio. And while it's nice that you have an offensive lineman in the top five, it's probably not as nice that your top five offensive linemen includes the left guard. It's not the left tackle. It's not the center. It's the left guard. That's the one of the top five. You know, if Joe Thomas was on the team right now, Joe Thomas could be ranked as high as second. So there's no problem to have a lineman there in the top five. It is kind of a problem that it's your left guard and not somebody else that you'd feel more... Um, you'd feel more confident about. We'll see. Traditionally speaking, lines have been built from the outside in. But you have to be able to protect your quarterback. And I think that moving forward, we'll be able to do it to what degree and to what level of success we'll ultimately see in the long run. Okay, now I'm about ready to wrap this show up. But as I do... I would be amiss if I did not give you my actual win total prediction for this team for the 2019 season. And it's going to be this. I would say for me, the team has a floor of nine wins, probably a ceiling of 13 wins. So I guess my prediction would oscillate somewhere between 11 and 10 wins. 
And in this case, I'm going to oscillate downward and go with a 10 and 6 total. Now, 10 and 6, I would say, is good enough to make the playoffs. It should be good enough to make the playoffs. I hope it's good enough to make the playoffs. But you never know. But 10 and 6 last year would have been good enough to win the AFC North outright. And in a slugfest like I'm anticipating this year, 10 and 6 might be enough to do it. You never know. But personally, I would like to see Baker Mayfield tear the roof off that ceiling. And with that, we'll put this one in the books. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to make the Dogs by Nature Network a part of your day. I hope you guys have an enjoyable weekend leading up to the Browns game Sunday. I'm going to be on the threads on Dogs by Nature and on Twitter at Thelonious72. This Sunday's game's going to be an epic one with the Titans. I'm predicting a Cleveland victory. I don't really have totals, but the Titans are going to get taken to the woodshed. Enjoy your Easter eggs and enjoy the weekend. Take care. I got my whole entourage taking pictures. I got the fans even doing like this, man. It's it's some it's it's unbelievable, man. And I and the feeling of winning is I mean it, it can't be replaced. On fourth down, and Gillen takes it and left foots it down the field. And look at this, way, way back, and it bounces away from Chester Rogers inside the 10-yard line, and it's going to be touchdown by the Prawns at about the 9.5-yard line. He hit it from his own two. It's a 74-yard punt. It was like as soon as I got off the phone, everybody's kind of looking at me like, what was that, you know? 
I just kind of said, you know, it looks like I'm playing Tennessee next week, and everybody just started going crazy. We're down for the Cleveland Browns. You can feel the pound in the sound. Striking fear, flipping fields, coughing corners out of bounds. He saved a touchdown, and now some starts to ooh and clamor. Your special teams are nailed. You just got the Scottish camera. He ain't no pretty little kicker. Scotland's what he's repping. He's called the Scottish Hammer. He is Cleveland's secret weapon. No pretty little kicker. Scotland's what he's repping. He's called the Scottish Hammer. He is Cleveland's secret weapon. Started playing rugby back when he was a pup. Popped a couple footballs working out at Pablo. Started playing rugby back when he was a pup. I just knew I gave him my all the past uh, four preseason games, and I'm just gonna keep getting better every every day, you know. Take it one snap at a time. He ain't no pretty little kicker. Scotland's what he's repping. He's called the Scottish Hammer. He is Cleveland's secret weapon. No pretty little kicker. Scotland's what he's repping. He's called the Scottish Hammer. He is Cleveland's secret weapon. Oh my god! Oh my god, dude! <laughs> I just landed on the other 15 yard line! <laughs> it's going out at. Stop the, on the, the one! Inside <laughs> the 10, baby! This episode was supported by Reddit for Business. You want the right attention for your business, but you don't know where to get it. It should be a place where people actually take the time to engage with your ads. Why not try Reddit? They seem to have the whole engagement thing down pat. With over 100,000 communities, Reddit users are some of the most active online. Meet your potential customers where they feel most at home, with 90% of users trusting Reddit to learn about new products and brands. Just go to redditforbusiness.com slash vox to learn more.